Welcome to the Christ Covenant School podcast. In today's episode, we will listen as Pastor Carl Calverkamp leads our middle school dads forum on the topic of work-life balance. Pastor Carl is the senior pastor of Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church, the founding church of Christ Covenant School. Guys, uh, some paper and a pen is coming around. I'm going to do something very unorthodox this morning. Um, My subject given to me by the esteemed uh, director here is uh, a work-life balance. And so I want to get you guys writing and thinking before we before I do uh, much talking this morning. And here's the first question. We're going to start at the end rather than start at the beginning. Here's what I mean by that. Um, here's the first question. Write this down if you might, or at least just a uh, semblance of this question. <clears throat> if today your funeral was being held, your funeral was being held today, what would you want to have said about you. So take that question and and uh, work with that a little bit. Write out some of your thoughts. If your funeral was being held today, what would you most desire to have said about you? If people were standing around talking, if it were in the eulogy. Jeff, we're going to do a little writing and processing some things. If your funeral was being held today, what would you want people to be saying about you? All right, that's something that I would encourage you to keep working on. You know, take that with you today, fold that up, tuck it in your wallet, and come. All right? This is a slightly different question, maybe no, no different answers, but it's a slightly different question. If you had died and uh, your funeral had been held already, and now it was with your family sitting at home a couple days later saying, here's what we remember about Dad. Or here's what we remember about, uh, here's, here's what I remember about your dad. That would be, you're now a widow speaking about you. So we're going from the general things at the funeral to, what's your family going to say? All right, regardless of what you put down for some of these questions, really one of the final things I want to ask you is, are you on the road to becoming that man? What do you want people to say about you when you're gone at at the funeral? What will your family say about you, or would you want them to be saying about you? Um, That third question, what do you want to be known for when you're gone? The question that comes after all three of those is, um, are you on the road to becoming that man? Really, really good questions for us. And we're starting at the end because I really believe that that's the answer to the question of how do I deal with work-life balance? You know, we could stand up in some respects and just start up and say, well, you know, give appropriate priority to work and appropriate priority to family and you know, kind of go through some of the classic things. But I think the answer to getting life right is by asking the big questions and the, the final questions, those questions that undergird life, and asking those and really honestly wrestling with your answers to those. So take that with you today, if you will. 
and keep working on that. Uh, you know, in some of your quiet times or whatever time you set aside to be with the Lord, spend some time writing out the answers until you can't write anymore. And really take a look at the answer to what will people say about me? What would I want them to say about me? What is true of me? What will my family say about me? Um, am I on the path to becoming the man that I say I want to be? And those are great questions um, for us. Well, uh, Caleb's going to recognize this. Uh, Caleb uh, gave me this book uh, this end of this past year, Zeal Without Burnout. And uh, I want to highly recommend it to you. It's been uh, dog-eared by me. <laughs> A good deal, and I've read it once. I'm on my second journey through it, and I want to give you some notes here. We'll go through this together. Thanks. Uh, Christopher Ash. Um, let, let me make a, a disclaimer. The book was written for people who are in full-time Christian service, but the principles and the way he writes are profound profoundly transferable to every man or woman in the marketplace. Okay, so don't be put off by the fact that it was written for folks in full-time ministry. Uh, look at the phrase at the very top of the outline. We are called, when I say normally, I'll explain that in a moment, to a lifelong ministry of sustainable sacrifice. Now don't think of the word ministry in this context as pulpit ministry, Christian ministry, uh, Christian school, it can, the ministry, the calling that God has given you, where you are in your life, whatever calling God has upon your life, we are called to a lifelong ministry of sustainable sacrifice, normally. Now, there are those people in the world that are called by God's providence to, to give themselves so fully and to burn out so quickly that at 37, uh, their life is over. But that's not the norm. That's not where most of us live. That's not God's call for most of us. So we are to live for Christ in all things, believing that our death is gained. So how do we actually do that? Well, <clears throat> Christopher Ash has done some wonderful things. He reflected on the scriptures a great deal, but also his own personal experience and his interviewing a great number of Christian uh, workers found that uh, the, the rate of burnout and the rate of people leaving their calling because they ignored basic God-installed principles of what, how we are meant to live, that it brought them to a very difficult place. And he's reflected on that, and, and I wanna, I'm just giving you some highlights. These are just some highlights from his book, and it's been wonderful to me. Uh, I turned 60 this year. Um, uh, most, some of you guys know this, but I've been here 23 years, and so I, um, more of my ministry is in my rearview mirror than in my um, windshield. Okay, That's not true for some of you, but it is true for me. And at every point in our life, along the way, there are seasons where we have to evaluate. Who am I? What have I done? Where am I going? What do I want to be when I get there? Okay. And so let me run you through this. His first principle in the book is one that you'll 
very rarely here. He's building the theme of the book around this, that you are made from dust. You are a creature. And the Lord God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And then we hear in the Psalter and elsewhere, and to dust you shall return. So why did I begin with the question of your funeral was held and what are people going to say? You and I, unless the Lord returns, are going to return to dust in that sense. Humanly speaking, though we are redeemed creatures, there's a fundamental principle here. The, the transcendent difference between the uncreated creator and the fact that you are a limited creature. But don't we live, practically speaking, day to day, trying to figure out how to overcome those limits and be the exception to the rule? So we are men of dust. God has his place as creator, sustainer, redeemer. We are derived, and we live life by his limits for us. So think about that. I'm a creature. I came from dust. I returned to dust. My life is a derived kind of life. It doesn't start with me. It doesn't, it's not sustained by me. It doesn't end with me. I'm a creature who derives his life and his good from the Lord. So if those are foundational principles, and of course they are, and they're everywhere in Scripture, he has several keys uh, to living as a redeemed creature of dust. And, and it occurred to me as I started thinking about uh, Malcolm's asking me to do something on this theme, that these really tie together remarkably well. That rather than just talking about time management or those kinds of things, which have their place, Let's talk about something underneath the surface that's connected substantively to how we are created. And that when we begin to ignore those things about how we are created, we are setting ourselves up for trouble and failure and difficulty and disappointment. And then, therefore, everybody else in our life that's intimately connected to us. First one. You need sleep, the eternal creator does not. Sounds like a goofy, simple principle. Yeah, we all know that. All right? Well, you need rest. You need sleep. But what's, what's the theology that's underneath that? When we rest and we rest well, we are at some level, you know, we could be on one end of the spectrum, it just could be because we're lazy as heck. All right? That's probably not true of most of the guys in the room here. But on the other end of the spectrum, we rest well because we trust that the Lord is working. Okay. He is ever watchful, so we sleep in the power of his providence. How many times have you gone to bed and you couldn't sleep because you cannot turn your mind off about how to figure out one, two, three, four, five, or six problems that are dogging your heels. It could be a child. It could be a marital issue. It could be a work issue. It could be a health issue. It doesn't matter. We all have that. 
But to learn to rest well and sleep well is, is not just the principle of you need sleep. It's the theological principle that God doesn't sleep. And that's a glorious gift. And he's always working. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. So anxious toil means that we will not trust God for his working. I'm as guilty of that as anybody in this room. Anxious, flipping from shoulder to shoulder. Ask yourself, um, not am I getting enough sleep, although that's a really good question. But when I seek to go to sleep, in whose arms and in whose providence am I trusting? My own or the Lord's? The regular cycle of sleep and rest is not just a bodily function. That sleep and rest cycle is a symbol of the next thing on the list that reminds us that we are not creator. We are creature. God is strong and we are weak. God is great and we are not. Second thing, you need Sabbath rests. Not just sleep and not just rest, but you need seasons of Sabbath. And the eternal God does not. This is a, you know, the Sabbath is a creation ordinance. And everybody has somewhat of a differing perspective on how to work out the Sabbath. But in most of the Christian community, with some exceptions, the principle of a Sabbath one day in seven or a cycle of work and rest still exists. And thankfully it does because it's a biblical principle. It's a creation ordinance. But remember, it has only become more important because of the fall. When did the cycle of rest and work begin? Pre-fall, post-fall. Pre-fall. It's creation ordinance. But God understands its importance even more so in the setting of our fallen lives. So to believe that you can become the exception and work seven days a week, work endlessly to, uh, to burn, you know, the classic idea of burning the candle at both ends um, uh, means that we believe as a mortal creature, that we are more akin to God than we are to our fellow creatures. We are thinking too highly of ourselves. Too little of God. Look at the next phrase. Um, this is a phrase that I use a fair amount and use it in counseling all the time. You know, when we break God's commands, um, and, and that's good language to use, we must always follow it up at some point by saying, remember, you can only break God's commands for so long, and then in the end they will break you. Ultimately, we never break God's commands. <laughs> we, we disobey his ordinances and his commands, but in so doing, we are breaking ourselves. And when you ignore this cycle of rest, Sabbath rest, not just sleep, but Sabbathing, pulling away, giving yourself to the Lord. Um, 
that pattern of work and rest gives breath to the margin that our souls need. God has already appointed a Savior, and it's not you. It is incredibly tempting. Now, this is just in my line of work, but you have it in your own line of work. And you can put your phrase on what the expectation is of your department, of your boss, or of yourself, whatever it may be. But if I have a particularly difficult counseling session coming up and there's a great deal on the line in that situation, it is very easy for a pastor, i.e. myself, to think, if I don't have the right words to say, if I don't craft it properly, if I don't get them to the right place, then if they don't make it, that's on me. Now, let me add a proviso. I can not do my job well, and I can be unwise, and I can be unprepared, and all of those things are negligent. But if those things are not present, the thing that undergirds that is I am not the Savior. And I need constantly to be pointing people back to the one who is. And so in your own setting, wherever that may be in the marketplace, this idea of Sabbath rest means that you pull away regularly from what the calling is that you have because you recognize that you are not the Savior. You know, one of the most stunning things that can happen to us is to lose someone who is very close to us, who is very important to us. And people who have lost a spouse or a child or something in, along those lines, almost universally they experience this deep emotion, which is, how can life go on as normal for everybody else? just lost the most precious thing in my life. You see, they've been brought to see a different view of the world. I'm asking you to look at a different view of the world that says, I am not the Savior. And I must do what I'm called to do, and I must do that to the best of my abilities. But that's all. It's not on me. Third, we need friends, and God does not. Within the eternal fellowship of our triune God, there is a perfect love and relationship. But we were created for the need of community outside of ourselves. So, of course, um, Christian school like this, our churches, see Jonathan, are, um, are vitally important. Prayer and accountability partners, friends with hobbies and interests, similarly looks you in the eye and says... How's your dad? How's your boy? I know he broke his arm. Is that going to be okay? You know, just that kind of stuff. But we allow life to get so busy that we don't do those kind of things. We do need friends. We are not created to be autonomously self-sufficient. Remember, you are a creature. And healthy friendships need deliberate cultivation. Okay, Deliberate cultivation. Fourth thing. We need renewal of the heart continually. God does not. You see what the pattern here is that he's drawing is that there's a contrast between the Lord and us. 
And when we lose that contrast, when we think more of ourselves and less of the Lord than is accurate, we begin to view life differently, we begin to live life differently, we begin to live life in a way that is hurtful and damaging. So created in the image of God, we're meant to walk with him in intimacy. There must be an investment. And so look at the language of Jesus in Matthew 11. Come to me. I will give you rest. I am gentle and lowly of heart. Look at those words. I am gentle and lowly of heart. How many of us really believe that? It's fairly easy in our communities, perhaps even in the PCA community or in a community like ours here at Christ Covenant, to think of you know, the lordship of Christ and the dominion of Christ and those kinds of concepts, and those are all wonderful and vital. If we lose sight of the fact that we have a gentle and lowly Savior, we've lost something very, very important. We need intimacy with the Lord. He desires that I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, look at the words, he it is that bears much fruit. I think we almost immediately understand that to mean we're going to go and be able to do good things for God. But what is the most abundant fruit that comes out of this abiding with Jesus and He with us? The, the fruit of His Spirit. The fruit of the relationship. The fruit of the settled wonder that I am loved by the God of the universe. That's the deepest and the greatest fruit. And everything else flows out from there. So when you see this language here, he will go and bear much fruit. Don't immediately think, I'm going to go out there and do something. Well, that's true. But to go out there and do something effectively means you have been in hibernation with the Lord. So you've been, you've been coupled with the Lord. Um, then finally, a delight to cling to. I'll read this passage and then explain it. Um, this struck me like uh, a rock when I was reading through the book. Uh, the 72, Jesus sends out the disciples. The 72 were sent out. They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then the Lord replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I turn over to the back and you'll see what I think is the point there. Guys, here's another good question for you. What are you delighting in? This is where uh, the Lord really stripped me when I was asking the question reading through the book. What is it that I delight in? And I had to say that among the chief delights in my life, it wasn't the settled joy and knowledge and wonder that my name was written in heaven and that after that almost nothing else matters. That that is a foundational delight that always has to be present with us as believers. So here's the net effect. Jesus sent out these 72 disciples. They went out. They had a grandly successful time. And they came back 
yeah, Lord, this is awesome. Let's do this again. And Jesus says, be careful. Don't you celebrate in that. Celebrate in this. That your name is written in heaven. That's an awesome thing. That is the undergirding, overarching uh, delight that we are a fallen creature of dust, loved beyond measure by grace, and our name is secure in heaven. So the book ends with this quote. It's a prayer, and he offers it to uh, all of the readers of the book. I am and will never, this side of the resurrection, be more than a creature of dust. I will rest content in my creaturely weakness, and I will use the means God has given me to keep going in this life while I can. I will allow myself time to rest. I will trust him enough to take a day off each week. I will invest in friendships and not be a proud loner. I will take with gladness the inward refreshment he offers me. I will serve the Lord Jesus with a glad and restful zeal, with all the energy that he works within me, but not with anxious toil, selfish ambition, the desire for the praise of people, and all the other ugly motives that will destroy my soul. So help me God. Um, again, if you do uh, take the opportunity to read the book, if, if you're not really, if, if you're just trying to go through it to get the gist of it, it's a two and a half hour read some evening. But if you want to go back and get a lot out of it, spend some time really working your way through it. And with a notepad in front of you and, and reflecting and, and writing. So the goal today really was to get you to do some thinking, to get you to start thinking about end things, i.e. the end of your own life, and ask you, where is it that you want to be? What is it that will be said of you? And then to reflect, am I on that path? And these are some suggestions about how to stay on that path. Well, these are the priorities, the life motivations that need to be reverberating throughout our lives on a consistent basis for us to finally be at that place so that when we're 96 or 46, when the Lord takes us home, that we are in fact ready for His honor to have said about us the things that we would long to be said about us. Father, thanks for the privilege of being with these men. Thank you for um, the givens of our creatureliness. And would you, by your Spirit, awaken us to uh, that deep wisdom that is in our weakness. We are stronger, and in our weakness is the delight of ask you for that.